Let's stand open our Bibles. We are finishing a message that got started this morning. I don't want to re-preach it. Most of you can go online and get up to date. We'll quickly review and then finish our last point. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul, mentioning the thorn, the gift that God had given him. We mentioned this morning the gift. Paul here in this chapter mentions two gifts. God gave him the opportunity to visit paradise. Now, I don't know if I'd want to get on that plane because he traveled there because of a stoning, most likely, that he took on his first missions trip. And if it means rocks being thrown at my head and body by angry people seeking my death, I prefer to plant my feet firmly upon the earth and just wait until my final breath to get there. Uh, but I believe Paul was going to suffer so much in this life that God said, I'm going to give you a taste of heaven so you don't give up or tap out or quit prematurely. You understand what is awaiting you on the other side. But those are the type of gifts we like, a special meeting with God, a special revelation from God, uh, but it's not the thorns and God gave him a thorn. Now, once again, we mention there's no specifics here. We don't know what that thorn is. Don't ever get into these discussions. It's a matter of opinions. And at the end of the day, a thorn is going to be identified when it's God's thorn because it'll be there to help you spiritually. And you can be hurt by it. But at some point, as Paul did, we've got to get on the same page as God and say, if God really wants to use me, he understands what I need to be used. And Paul submitted. Three times he prayed. How many of you have ever prayed for God to remove a thorn? Maybe not one on the same level as Paul was facing, but you've prayed. I've, anybody here? Anybody ever prayed? I say, Pastor, it sounds like a selfish prayer to me. Most praying is selfish anyways. Most, how much of our prayers about us and our needs and our thoughts and uh, we consider prayer to be something, God, we want you to get on the same page as us instead of using prayer to get on the same page as God. And after he prayed on several occasions, he came to the realization that God had a purpose in this. We preached uh, for a few minutes on the purpose and the revelation that takes place in the life of a person when God reveals who we really are. And most of the time, we don't even know who we really are. We, we deceive ourselves into thinking we're a better Christian than we actually are, and God will use a thorn to reveal our deficiencies and then work on those. He uses it to humble us and to weaken us. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about the promise of the thorn. Look what it says in verse 9. He said unto me. Now, we've got to put this all in the context of the context. I remember growing up, most preaching that was done was usually out of context without ever sharing the context. Now, that's changed drastically over the years. And uh, there's a lot more expository preaching. But remember, this whole chapter is about Paul dealing with these prophets that had infiltrated the church at Corinth and had undermined his apostleship, were attacking him. And uh, he 
he is going to, under the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit, respond to them. Now, he didn't respond as the average independent Baptist in 2022. He didn't take 13 chapters to write about his time in paradise. He didn't talk about his heavenly visions. I guarantee if he went to heaven, there was a conversation face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. None of that's revealed, and that's not his platform to brag or claim superior apostleship. He's going to say, if I glory, I will glory in my infirmities. Now, this is important because it's the very basis tonight of the message, and it's our destination at the end. But Paul's going to highlight that God brought this thorn into his life. Verse 8, he, he beseeches the Lord three times, then it might depart. When he realizes God has a purpose and a plan, he submits himself to the thorn and to the purpose of God's plan in his life. This one of... This could be the best day of your life, not the thorn, but submitting to the thorn and understanding God has a purpose in it. Now, here are the promises that God gives us concerning thorn if he gives us that gift. Verse 9, let me just say this. Can you imagine Christmas morning, you wake up, you open up the gift, and inside is a thorn. And you say, what is this? And, And the giver takes it and stabs it right in your kidney and says, Merry Christmas. Verse 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. This is a thorn. God said, accompanying the thorn is grace. With that thorn comes my supernatural grace. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the first promise in the thorn is sufficient grace. If, if you have a thorn, here's what we do. We truly love life if we can live independent of God's grace. Who wants to have to rely upon God's grace? Why do we live for vacation? I mean, all year. To live for vacation. You know why? Because the spirit of life, we can live grace-free. I mean, we pick the place. We plan the Airbnb. We choose the food. We say, well, the the finances, we eliminate our headaches and our stresses. We walk away from our job and our responsibilities. We say goodbye to, to the preacher. And uh, we get in that car, we climb on that plane, and we say, I've got seven days, 10 days, 14 days of paradise, and here's what I want to do. I want to live grace-free. I want to be happy without anyone propping up my happiness. I want to eliminate the headaches of life. I want to eliminate the stresses of life. And God said, the best place for you to be is right in the middle of my grace. And isn't it amazing that God has to give us a thorn for us to even seek his grace. And here's Paul, and Paul needed grace in everything that we, when he ministered and what he suffered. And we, when we take a look at his life, it is phenomenal. What he dealt with in the grace that was needed, every town he went to, the persecution, duress, and stress that he was under, he lived that way, and yet God said, you still need to put yourself in a place of greater grace. So I'm going to give you a thorn, and my grace, here's the promise, will be sufficient. Now, this... I don't want you to misunderstand tonight. I'm going to use an illustration, although it's not a proper, appropriate 
illustration, but I want you to understand God's grace. There have been times in our life where we've experienced God's grace on a different level. My wife and I look back during the time of Ashley's birth. We were in Argentina, foreign country, and the doctor comes and tells us the bad news that Ashley's heart was seriously undeveloped. Most likely she'd be born with Down syndrome. And that she would need immediate surgery after birth to correct that. Now, for 20-year-olds, we were mid-20s on the mission field in Argentina. It, it, was a, it was a sucker punch. It took the wind out of us. And I, I remember going home. I've never done this, but we went home that afternoon, and we laid down to take a nap, and we didn't wake up till the next day. Just the emotional stress of thinking about the possibility of a child going through that, the possibility of losing a child and what lay ahead and all the unanswered questions. And uh, we got up the next day and began to function. And we went back to pastoring and she had the baby and Ash had her surgery and there were complications and back she went to the hospital. She came close to that on several occasions, but there's a wife, no vehicle, traveling back and forth to Cordoba. And I look back at all of that now from the financial strain, the not knowing how God was going to meet all those needs. We call her our million-dollar baby, and in all of that, God met every financial obligation. We went back, thank you, uh, church, for allowing us to do that, providing those tickets. We went back to Argentina, and you know, you go by the hospital, and you marvel. That's where they pulled her heart out, and wow, were we nuts? But here's what you see. God's grace was what? A pastor, how did you do that? How did, how did your wife do that? God's grace is sufficient. Here's how you know God's grace is sufficient. If you keep walking. Have you ever been in a place where, where he said, the messenger of Satan buffeted me, I mean punched. Have you ever been punched that hard? And you said, I don't, I don't know if I can take another step. I don't know if I can move forward another day. I, I don't know if I want to deal with another week, and God's grace is sufficient. And when it's sufficient, people don't see your pain of the moment because God's grace has overcome the pain. It allows you to keep trusting. It allows you to keep functioning. It allows you to keep ministering. It allows you to keep smiling. It allows you to keep thanking Him. That's God's functional grace in the life of a person that is dealing with a thorn. Uh, there are so many. People, Christians, good Christians, who are dealing with extreme thorns that are persistent. They'll never be removed. They've asked God to remove them. Kirby Campbell, John Bishop, Tom Williams. The list goes on and on of great men of God that we know. And here's what God did. They were being used of him in mighty ways, but God said, you've asked to be used in a greater way, and I'm going to... The only way I can do that is by giving you a thorn. And now we've just seen God pour out his blessing. But most people say, you know, if that's what it means to be used on that level, <laughs> you know, let's, let's uh, avoid the whole thorn concept. And Paul, we see everything in his life was about being used to a greater degree by God. And God said, Paul, if that's your desire, the only way for that to happen is for me to add a thorn to your life. And Paul said, hold on, Lord, I changed my mind. Would you remove this thorn? 
And God said, Paul, you need to make up your mind here. Do you want to be used or not? Because if you want to be used in a greater way, the thorn stays. Your weakness means my greater power. Your, this thorn means my greater grace. So you make a choice. You know what this prayer did in Paul? It aligned his thinking with God's thinking where he said, I will embrace the thorn if it means greater use. God could have answered his prayer and removed the thorn and in so doing affected his future as far as God's plan for his life. I, I truly believe this passage is, is misconstrued. I, I believe it's for Christians that are, that are in tune with God and desirous of being used of God, but this is the passage most used by people who are talking about cockaburs, cockabur Christianity. Got a cockabur in my sock, and God says, you take off your sock. This has nothing to do with me. Huh? You, you did that to you. you. You walked through that field. You created that problem. Uh, you, you injured that, that leg. Uh, you'll get over this. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about a real God-given thorn. He says this person has a heart to be used. Now, once again, we're not just talking about pastors, missionaries, full-time servants. We're talking about any child of God that says, I want to truly be used of God to help the minister and to reach the lost and to strengthen the Christian disciple, uh, the saved. I just want to be a blessing. I want to, I want to be used of God in any way he sees fit. And as you grow, there may be a point where God says, do you really want to be used? Now, that's a question for you tonight. How badly do you want to be used of God? Say, Pastor, I already know God hasn't called me the mission. I'm not talking about the mission field. I'm not talking about the pastor. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm talking about used of God. We need to stop making levels and tiers in Christianity. How crazy it is we think, well, unless you're on this tier or that tier, have this calling or that calling. No, we're talking about the way people are used, and God places people uniquely all across this planet and throughout our churches and different ministries to influence different people. And I'm so thankful here at Capital City Baptist Church. They're just lives I simply can't influence and people that I can't touch. But through the ministries and the people in the giving, sacrificial, dedicated, committed spirit of each different family leader, bus worker, Sunday school teacher, lives are being touched, people are being saved. So we're not talking about usage simply because, well, I pastor, I'm the co-pastor, I'm a system. No, we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about you being used of God in the life of others. How do you desire? Do, do you want to be used? Is your life all about you? Because if it's all about you, the thought of a thorn is going to be oppressive. If this is about God, it's, God, how can you use me? And what do you want to do through me? And, and how can I be a light in this company? And how can I be a light in this community? And how can I be a light in my family? And how can I be a help to others around me in this church? And how can I influence and encourage and lift up? And if that's truly your desire, God's going to begin to open up doors and provide you opportunities to fulfill that commitment to help others. There's only one problem. We fight this daily battle called pride. And as soon as God begins to use us, the head begins to grow. 
And, and suddenly we think ourselves something, and as soon as God begins to use us, we have to let someone else know that God's using us. Isn't it amazing how little we can do, and yet how quickly our head, you know. Maybe the greatest promise in all this, we kind of touched on it this morning. Look what it says in verse 7. Paul said, there's a purpose behind the throne, and here's the promise. Lest, this is actually more than a statement, it's a promise. Lest I should be exalted above measure through abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn. God gave me a gift to keep my pride in check. Here's a promise. Lest, end of the verse, lest I should be what? God said, pride is only going to hinder the work. Pride cannot help in any shape, fashion, or form. And we, by nature, tend to... If someone else doesn't exalt us, we'll find a way to exalt ourselves. If someone else doesn't provide the accolade, we can provide it. If someone else doesn't notice the accomplishment, we can help them notice. If someone doesn't pat our back, we can grab their arm and help them pat our back. And if no one smiles, we'll give them reason to let them know that we should put a smile on their face. Because God has blessed you with me. Your gift from God is not a thorn, it's me, a blessing. Folks, can we just be honest? Christianity is so full of pride, so full of self. And God has given the gift to Christians of thorns to help keep our pride in check. And the promise of the thorn, the greatest promise to me is not the grace. That's what we look at. The greatest promise is God's saying lest you should be exalted above measure, lest your pride get in the way, and lest your big head keep you from serving me and being greatly used, God said, that sin got Satan thrown out of heaven. That sin destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That sin has divided churches and hurt countless Christians. While many have gotten in the ministry and been given positions, they only limited what they could do because they were lifted up in Pride. God said, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you a little gift, a little Christmas gift. Merry Christmas. Here's a thorn. I had people ask me, Pastor, your vocal problem, your voice, God's thorn in your flesh. I hope not. Why, why not, Pastor? I, I hope I'm not so small, talking like a billy goat would make me crowd to God. Isn't it amazing that our Christianity is so small? that any kind of setback, when Paul said a messenger of Satan to buffet me, we're talking about Paul in a spiritual UFC cage getting pummeled and not tapping out. And Paul said, this messenger of Satan was there to buffet me, and this was all about my pride. You know why we have so many improper reactions in Christianity? So you're supposed to be the spiritual leader. It's amazing what children can do to get you to misbehave. So we're supposed to be the spiritual soul winner. It's amazing. All it takes is one slam door, one nasty comment, one screaming person on the porch asking why you don't have a mask to frustrate your day and disturb your Christianity. You know what the problem is? Pride. That's why God says, I'm going to give you a thorn. Number one, Uh, Because I've promised you my grace in the midst of that. So whatever the thorn is, no matter how painful it is, I'll give you grace to deal with the thorn. But he said, I'll also give you humility. And you need that. Here's 
Here's the problem. That humility is spirit-led, spirit-filled, because most of our humility is nothing more than an attempt to be humble. Christian, can we be honest about our humility tonight? God said, humble yourself. And we attempt. We attempt. We're just not very good at it. And God says, I'm going to help you in your attempt. I'm going to give you a thorn, Paul. Whatever it was, it kept him humble. Now, this is difficult. This is difficult. If you've, okay, if you've been this successful, you've started this many churches. And at this point, you have this many young men in the ministry. And you're writing books of the Bible. You're going places and people are hugging your neck. Every time, you know, you're with your new converts and they, they see the stripes on your back and they're talking about, yeah, that's the beating that he took in Philippi. That's the beating that he took. That's the stoning that he took in Iconium. That's, man, he's reached hero status. That's, that's the apostle Paul. And God said, Paul, uh, if your head blows up, your ministry blows up. And if, if this pride is not controlled, uh, then I can't use you. So I'm going to give you a gift. And here's the promise. This thorn will keep your pride in check. Now look at the third promise. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is what? Made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Now here's, this is important. What's the last phrase say? That the power of Christ Here's a real question. Do we want the power of Christ? Because the thorn comes with the promise, the power of Christ. Because this produces weakness. And God doesn't need our strength. We're truly, I'm convinced, that the average Christian is convinced that the spiritual life is like a 2080 or even a 1090 endeavor with God. God, I don't have much to offer, but I'll give you my 10% and you throw in your 90% and we're going to be a great team. You know what you have that's actually usable. God's not looking at your bicep or measuring your long jump or applauding your voice or pleased with your IQ. This is all God. Everything that is done for the sake of the gospel and has any eternal value, it's all God. The souls of men and eternal destinies and the rearing of our youth, lives being reached around the world. This is all God. The futility. Church, this is why your pastors are out, out walking the trails on Saturday night and out Sunday morning walking the parks. There, there is still, after 30 years of ministry, a desperation in my heart and soul thinking, God, if I ever step in that platform and you're not moving this is just, this, it's wildly, incredibly stupid. If this is not you moving in the hearts of men, if this is not you drawing sinners to Christ, if this is not you shaking our young people for the sake of the gospel, if this is not you dealing with sin in specific lives, this has got to be God. This isn't an outline. This isn't a delivery. This isn't a message. This is God. God doing a work in the hearts of men. Uh, and here's what a thorn does. A thorn weakens us where we understand this isn't about my strength. This is where people get themselves in trouble. I've watched Polish pulpiteers and incredibly talented singers and gifted workers who every Sunday flex is if God were impressed. Men truly 
thinks he has something to, and I believe in preparation, and I, I believe in doing our best, but literally, here's what we're doing in our Bible colleges. We're, we're factories, production factories of this is, we'll take this kid, and we'll polish him up, and perfect this, and develop a strength, and I'm all for preparation, but at the end of the day, we have not even taught our young people to pray. They don't even understand the need for God to be involved. And here's the problem. God's going to have to take a bigger thorn and thrust it deeper for them to even understand the principle of his strength or weakness. This is Paul. This, and you would think of all men that would understand, of all men that would understand God's purpose would be Paul, but he prayed and said, remove it. And God said, no, Paul, I want you to think about this. Paul, this is about my honor. This is about my glory and you submitting to my purpose in your life. Because that, what's the last phrase? The power of God. Strong men are self-reliant. When we're leaning on our own strength, Christ cannot be strong in us. He said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now look what it says, verse 10. Young people, let me ask you this before we move on. Is there anyone here that even desires the power of God may rest upon you? Are we so satisfied with what we can accomplish in the flesh? Are we so happy with what we've learned, how we developed, that we can actually deliver something in the work of God in our flesh that makes us smile? We actually have young people that cry out to God, Oh God, may his power, may your power rest upon me. Look what it says in verse 10. Therefore, he said, what's the conclusion? I take pleasure. Why? Those infirmities are a thorn. The reproaches are a thorn. The necessities are a thorn. You know we have young people doing running from reproach. Uh, young people, let me remind you what Christ told his disciples. If the world hates me, it's guaranteed it's going to hate you. You can't have both. You can't have the love of the world and the love of God. You can't have the smile of the world and the smile of God. You can't have the approval of the world and the approval of God. They're two opposite. That means you stand for God, the world's going to hate you. And if you stand for the world, God said that's enmity, reproaches. He said, those are thorns, necessities are thorns, persecutions are thorns, distresses for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then am I strong through his strength. So I'll embrace the thorn. Now, young people, here's what you can do with the thorn. People, tonight, no matter what trade, stage of life you're going through, you can gripe about it or you can glory in it. That's it. But when you're griping about it, God can't use it. You have to say, you know what? God has a purpose, and God and I have to get on the same page. So whatever thorn he's given me, he knows what he's doing. He is a sovereign God with a sovereign will. And he knows exactly what I need in order to minister on the level that he wants me to minister. Now, we talked about all that thorn to come to this conclusion, and I think the text needs to be within the context. What's the context? Paul is addressing the accusations. Paul is dealing with these false apostles. Paul is defending his apostleship. And he said, I don't defend my apostleship because of a heavenly vision or a heavenly encounter 
or because of a few moments in paradise. He said, I defend my apostleship through my thorn and through my sufferings. And he said, church, you have to make a determination here who you're going to be influenced by. The Paulist preacher or the man that walks with a limp. The man with an amazing ability to mesmerize the crowds or the man who's very weak in his presence with a deep thorn in his flesh but who's walked with God and dealt with trials and overcome hardships. Young people, here's one I need you to leave with tonight. I learned possibly a little late in my ministry the importance of this principle because we get mesmerized by what looks good. We tend to follow that and idolize that. Instead of saying that man that walks with a limp, that man that speaks with a lisp, when you follow Brother Bishop around, some of you were here the night he preached 15 minutes and came off the stage and fainted right there in that chair after 15 minutes of preaching and told you about the goodness of God in his life. Those are men that you want to influence you. It's Dr. Williams, the man with the thorn of the flesh, the man that had a wife at times that was incapable of recognizing him for years, that he had to physically take care of as if she were a little child, traveled around the country with all kind of attacks and disdain while preaching the gospel and seeing thousands of souls saved because he embraced his thorn. Those are the people that you want to influence you in life. Oh, not, not the one with the big name and large acclaim and all the fame, not, not the one that beats his chest and sounds so polished in his diction and so important in his position. You, you find the one, like Brother Sullivan, who's dealt with a thorn and always reflected Christ. And you say, that's the one that I want to influence me. That one that's walked close to Christ and dealt properly with the thorn, that's the one I choose as an example.